Okay. Um, I have a bottle of wine here. Some speakers use water, you know, in the middle. I, I like to take a load off to, to a bottle of wine. Anyway, no judgment. Just kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> anyway, um, I was really touched by Charlie's word last week, and I actually just wanted to say this really quick as like a little invitation, because I feel like when the Holy Spirit comes and he moves in a way that is outside of our mind, that it's really amazing to step into that. And last week was just such a perfect example, because I was planning in my head I was going to close the service and... And then when Charlie was speaking and he was sharing and he just released what he did, uh, my heart was really just like stirring and then I just started crying and I just had that moment in my head like, okay, I could either like take a deep breath and put on a face and then just get in ministry mode or I don't know, that isn't even ministry mode, but just get in other mode and close the service or I can just step in and trust that Clark or somebody else, Caroline, well, close the service, and I chose to step in, and it was just a really, really important, sweet, encouraging moment of just, I'm feeling, I was feeling tired. I didn't even know I was feeling tired in my prophetic journey, but he, because I took the step in, I just felt like he really ministered to me. So I just wanted to put that out there that we really want this to be a safe place a safe community where you can do that. And it can look so many different ways. Like it can look just so um, just honoring and quiet and peace in your spirit. And then it can look a little wild or like over here <laughs> gets a little wild sometimes. But I just want to make this a really free space to step into what God is doing. Okay, that's that. Okay, I'm going to tell you about a story. When I was a little girl, I didn't grow up in Christian language, Christian culture, Christian home. So this prophetic language, Christian language, wasn't even on my radar. But when I was little, I loved, my dad actually was a traveler, and he would come home and he would bring me like money and he would bring me pictures of these countries that he would travel to. And so as a kid, I just was like, oh, wow, I want to travel, and I love to travel. And there was one country in particular that he, I don't know, but I just, he brought home the money from New Zealand, and he was showing me pictures of New Zealand. And I just had it in my head, like, oh, I want to go to New Zealand. And so every time there was a country study at school, I would always choose New Zealand. And I would do the food, and I would just... It just was like a dream of mine to go to New Zealand. Well, I get to junior year, and everyone starts asking you, what are you going to do with your life? And then <laughs> I had no idea. But I had just become a Christian through Young Life, which is a youth group for unchurched kids, basically. And I loved it. The people were fun and funny. And so I just decided, oh, perfect. I'm just going to put my two favorite things together. I'm gonna so I just started telling people, oh, yeah. I'm going to go to New Zealand and start the first Young Life camp because I became a Christian at a Young Life camp. And um, so I just, that was my thing. So people was like, Tiffany, what are you going to do? What, what, what are you going to do? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to New Zealand and start the first Young Life camp. And that just was my, my thing. Well, I got to college, and then <laughs> I still didn't know what I was going to do with my life. 
and that's totally okay for anyone in here in college and after college. You don't have to know. Why do people make you feel like you have to know? Anyway, come talk to me. I'll tell you. Don't worry. Um, but then my kids, I don't know if I'll tell them that. Anyway, okay, so I'm in college. It's junior year, senior year, and I people start asking me the same questions. What are you going to do with your life, Tiffany? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to, I was doing Young Life in college, so I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to New Zealand and start the first Young Life camp. And everyone seemed satisfied with that answer, so I just kept on. And um, then for my graduation present of college, my parents got me and my two roommates a ticket to New Zealand, and I was so excited. I'm like, yay, finally I go to New Zealand. And, you know, college kids don't, they're just, they think everything I love college kids. Anyway, we just think everything's possible. And so I, I um, just, we were like, oh, we do Young Life here. Let's just see who's doing Young Life in New Zealand. And it happened to be an American couple. And we're like, oh, we'll just call them and ask if we could come over and stay with them. And so we did. And for some weird reason, they're like, oh, sure, you can come stay with us. So my roommates and I went to New Zealand and we stayed with the Young Life couple there, and we hit it off, and then it, it was just a really great time, and we traveled the rest of the time. End of story. So I'm like, oh, that was great. Come back. And now I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I actually have to figure out what I'm doing with my life. And at that time, Young Life was hiring, and so I did the interview process, and um, I was in Santa Barbara, Best place ever, by the way, the beach and the best Mexican food. So there was no reason for me to leave Santa Barbara, but God had other plans. So I went to um, the interview process. They're like, you can choose. You want to be here in Santa Barbara or do you want to go down to Westlake? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll just stay here. But I knew God had more. So I thought, I'll just check it out in Westlake. And sure enough, he made it so clear that Westlake was where I was going to go do Young Life. So um, you just know that you know that you know. It was one of those really moments that you know that you know. So I was in Westlake, left college, all my friends, all my community. And I was living in Westlake, starting um, a Young Life at Westlake High School. And it was a two-year commitment. And I'm going along because that was God's word to me. And it was so hard. It was really terrible, actually. I was super sick because at that time I had Crohn's disease, which, praise the Lord, he healed me. But at that time, I was just really sick. I didn't have a lot of friends. And the, it just wasn't the area director and I were really different in the way we were doing life and communicating was just very different. And so after a lot of unhappiness <laughs> of pushing through for nine months, uh, the, we all just sat around and decided, let's not keep this terrible train going and let's let it go. And so we let, I ended my contract and I was there in Westlake with no idea what the heck I was doing with my life. And I was confused and sad and frustrated. And um, I, I really actually thought Young Life was like, this is what I'm made for. And then it just was not working. And so it was by God's grace, actually. I didn't sit too long in that feeling of like, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? 
because I get an email literally two weeks after the drama, let go, blah, blah, blah. And it was my friends from New Zealand. And they're like, Tiffany, we don't know where you are, what you're doing, but will you come and help us start the first Young Life camp in New Zealand? And I'm like, what? That is crazy. <laughs> and so I did. I went out there, and it was literally a dream. Um, the area directors and I, they God redeemed so much of what had been um, not as good earlier. <laughs> he redeemed through them. And I love New Zealand. I love the people. And it was just such a beautiful experience. So I share that story because I feel like it was it's a great example of our prophetic journey, even though I didn't have words for it, of how God can plant things inside of us before we were even born, before we even knew him, and then he brings things to pass, and then they can be fulfilled. But that's not the end of the story. And yes, like since then, I've had calls, you know, different words about going to the nations, and I love travel, and I love the nations, and I have sewed into Guatemala, and Africa, and, I, and I'm now in California, <laughs> sewing in here, I guess, not traveling much, but that's okay. Um, but that's part of our prophetic lives. That's, we get words, and then we, it started way back, but then it can feel like, is this still happening? And then we can also remember back that we fulfilled something. So it's just this journey, and that I really wanted to talk about today, where um, God is actually an working in all three. He's outside of time. He's inside of time. And he's working in our prophetic lives, in our stories, for his larger story. And we have such a privilege to, to know this isn't just about us. It's just about being a part of his larger story. So in this season of hearing the prophetic and me um, currently, you know, I'm a mom and <laughs> do a lot of dishes. I do a lot of laundry. I have a lot of tasks. I do a lot of, um, you know, sibling rivalry, fighting, helping. And sometimes I get in my head, like, where, 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 what's going on here? Like, where am I going? Where am I headed? And with all this prophetic talk, it's actually been amazing. And also, like, am I actually sewing in? To my prophetic call, or what is my prophetic call? And I, I got in my head, and I'm not the only one that gets in my head because I just read a study that the average person has 4,000 words in their head, self-talk, every one minute. 4,000 words, self-talk, every one minute. I don't even know how that's possible, but I actually know that happens <laughs> inside because I'm like, what? going, 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 going. So anyway, I was in one of those moments, and I just was feeling like I lost my peace. And I feel very grateful. I was, I just got back from where I'm in Colorado, so I was very aware of my past. And then I was thinking, like, reading some of my prophetic words, so I was, like, becoming very aware of my future, but I had somehow lost my peace in my present. And so I was talking to the Lord about that, and he brought me to two scriptures. And I'm going to read them. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
and in the Passion Translation, just because it's so good. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us, for we have joined with Christ, the anointed one, even before we were born. God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. So I was like, oh, okay, that feels good, Lord. Thank you for that. And then he says, Revelation 4, 8, which is each of the four living creatures had six wings full of eyes all around and under their wings. They worshiped without ceasing day and night singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty, the was, the is, and the coming. And I was sitting with this. And God started to speak to me and that he is, he was in the was, like in, in this verse here in Ephesians 2.10, he predestined us, so he's in the was. Like we were, his, in his mind, way before we were even born. We are in the present, which means we are his workmanship, we are his poetry, we are standing literally in the present of who we are in him. And he prepared in advance for us to do good works. So he's using all three, past, present, and future, in the same verse. And I started to realize I had lost my peace because I had started to believe there was something holy about my past. Because I knew where he had taken me and what he had done. And there was something holy about where I'm going. But I had lost my peace because I didn't feel like there was something holy in my present. And as I repented and was just like, oh, Lord, forgive me for losing my peace in this moment of, actually, it is a prophetic, I mean, anyway, um, I was sitting in that moment and I was just asking him to be holy, 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 the God who is, and is to me in that moment was disappointment, is to me in that moment was this is so messy. Like, I am in process, and I see my process self come out in different ways. And in that moment, I was also feeling afraid of different things that were in my present. And I was seeing some unfinished things that were in my present. And I was also aware of the many tasks that I have to do in my present. And I thought, you're holy in this? And he just started loving, loving, loving the holiness of the unfinished part of me. And I, I, my peace returned. And I just was like, oh, thank God. I do not have to figure out what I'm going to do next or dwell so much what I've done. I get to right now receive the holiness of God as I am with what I have in this moment. And I'll tell you, that was the beginning of, I mean, it just has been, I swear, he just shifted me, and I just felt peace. I just felt um, like I didn't have to fix quickly things that didn't feel right. I didn't have to quickly, like, when I was discouraged about stuff, I wasn't like, oh, but God's going to make it better. I could just say, this is not what I, I it just didn't feel discouraged that it looks like this. And, and so I really invite us as a community to be so honest with the what is 
Because we are people that really believe in the what is coming. And we are people that we have all stories of what was. And we're all, he's working in all three. And as I started to read scripture, it's amazing. Like he literally uses all three tenses all the time. And when I was looking at prophetic words that Jesus gives us, I'm, it's just, I was like so intrigued by this language that he's been using now. So I recommend a little side study to pay attention to what Jesus, how Jesus uses his language. He uses the past, the present, and the future and prophetic words. And I have, like even with a few, yeah, I have lots, but I, for the sake of time, I was thinking, well, that could just be a side study for you <laughs> to do. But he's, he really is in the past and the present and the future. And when I was thinking of the life of Jesus, he had over 300 prophecies about him that he fulfilled, but some all before he even came. And so it was prophecies of the past before time began, prophecies in the Old Testament, and then prophecies when Jesus was here, and then prophecies of what Jesus was going to do, that he died, and then now prophecies of what's hap- going to happen. And he had all of these prophecies, but yet I really feel like Jesus learned to live in the past, the present, and the future. And so I, I started to look at that. What, how did Jesus live in all three? And if we are his and we are eternal beings, we too can live in all three. So I saw a few corollaries of what Jesus was very consistent about um, within his story. Because, you know, we, we don't know a lot of his beginning story and we know his fulfilled prophecies, of course, dying on the cross for us. And then we also know he lived day in and day out, and he did daily tasks. And he was a son, and he was a friend, and he laughed, and he played, and he cooked, and he did daily things, all of which are as well holy. And so I, I wanted to just share a few things that I've learned from him as we, too, are walking in our prophetic history and our present and our future. So one thing Jesus did so well is he knew his identity was in the Father and not in his prophetic word. And Jesus knew oh, it didn't matter before he did any works of the Father the dove came on him and said, oh, this is the one I am. I am so pleased with this one. Jesus knew he was his father's son. And when I'm with my kids, when my kids are with Clark, they don't really want to be taught by him. <laughs> they really just want to be with him. And they just know I am my dad's son. And I feel like that's what Jesus walked out regardless of where he was. And I feel that the importance piece of prophetic words that really motivate us and charge us into what we are made for, what he predestined us to, we can sometimes lock hold of that importance. And then when it starts getting fuzzy, like people disagree with us, um, people have their own agenda for us, people are mean to us, um, it doesn't look how we thought. Those are the moments, or life changes, seasons change, and 
now we're just doing daily laundry and daily tasks, and it's not quite as exciting as like praying for healing and seeing revival. And um, and I just feel like that is the invitation to go back and remember whose you are and to go back and remember your identity not isn't what you're going to do, although that will be great, and we will stand with you, and we will walk, and we will cheer you on, Ugh. and I will do that for you, but your identity isn't in that. It's in that God has already chosen you, and I, I want to read Ephesians 1-4 to remind us of that, and he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe past. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen holy in his eyes. He sees us holy right now in the present and whatever is happening. And he says, for it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children Though through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love he has for his beloved Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. Us receiving the love that God, Papa, Father had over Jesus gives God great pleasure. So in our moment, in the present, we have the God and creator of the universe taking great pleasure over us in this moment, not because we're good at something, but because he has called us his sons and daughters. So the second one, Jesus spent time with his father. And this one, no matter where he was, no matter what he was doing, he always made the time to spend time with his father. And I'm always struck by this. Like, he had just found out his cousin had died, an awful, unjust death. And he went, and he spent time with the father. And then he was moved by compassion and got up and started healing. And I just... I can't really wrap my mind around that, but I know there was something so holy about his time with the Father, and in my life, I've just seen that. It is has to be. In fact, over COVID, many of you know, you know, in COVID, there was extremes. You're either with people all the time, or you're never with people, and for me, I was with people, I mean, my family all the time in the house, and there was no escaping, actually. I would wake up, try to wake up super early, and somebody would wake up, come in, something. And so I'm like, I must build my own house in the backyard. <laughs> so I did. Clark did, and Jared did. He built, they built me my own house in the backyard so I could go and just be by myself. And... It changed me. Honestly, it's so funny. I mean, we don't need to build our own houses. We don't all need she sheds, even though I strongly recommend it. Um, but we can go anywhere, you know, nature, you know, walks, closets, living rooms, kitchens, whatever it is for you. But we need time with our father 
because it's him that speaks to our hearts. It's reading scripture that points us where we need to go. Jesus knew the Father's word, and in his most tempting moment of being, of fasting in the desert, like desert, desert, I mean, we get hot heat here sometimes, and I'm like, oh, I can't even, I'm just in a bad mood because it's so hot. But I eat and drink and have air conditioning, and I'm just walking from my car to the house or whatever. But Jesus walked and walked and walked and walked in the worst conditions, but he stored the word of God in his heart. And so when he was tempted, he knew what to say. When he, was, he spent time with his father, he knew his father's voice. And when he was tempted, he knew what to say. And Jesus, I really believe, did not go to see his father to get strategies. I feel like that happened along the way. I feel like he went to be with his father because he loved his father. He enjoyed his father. And in our prophetic journeys, in our lives, I encourage all of us to go and be with our Father, not to get marching orders for your ministry or for your day or for your work. That will come. He does do that. He does bring clarity of what to do in the day. But he loves you. And so when we have that time of just hearing him, like he speaks prophetic words all the time in Scripture over us. I mean, you just read one and just start claiming it over yourself. I mean, it's really quite encouraging, actually. Recommend it. Um, but Jesus is, he did spend time with the Father. So that is number two. Number three, Jesus loves so much that there was great pain and great grief. And I think about his journey of uh, living his 300 or more prophetic words over his life. And in the moment of the present, he was not afraid that love, taking the risk of love, taking the risk of letting your heart care so deeply with compassion for someone, will hurt. And that has been one of my, whew, that has gotten me at times because I am such a feeler and I, I feel so deeply with compassion that I feel like the compassion can take me down. But Jesus, he had compassion that led him into power. And that's something I'm walking out and learning. But I feel like Jesus never hesitated to step into love. That just was who he is, regardless of the cost. And I think we, wherever we are in our stories, wherever we are in our days, there is always an opportunity to love. He will provide that. And it's, it will be all the time. And that, to me, is probably one of the hardest daily finding holiness things in the day-to-day -day because it's loving when it Ooh, feels so unsafe. And why is Jesus so safe to love when people reject him? So safe to love when people do not understand him? Because his heart belonged in the Father's heart. It didn't belong in man's hands. And I think as we spend time with the Father, then we learn to trust the Father. And then when we're out in our daily tasks or when we're with our family members or we're with co-workers or with whoever it is, we can learn to forgive and we can learn to bless and we can learn to, to love because 
he is safe. So I want to just remind us that this is part of the journey. Love has to be the journey. It has to be. And uh, I got to read this. Jesus showed us love through loving people that no one else did. And I've I just read a whole book on that, like how Jesus loved women and honored women in a culture that no one did. And I, Jesus loved people groups and an environment where people groups hated each other, but Jesus loved them and reconciled with them. I mean, he was driven and motivated by love. And Jesus also knew great grief. I mean, we really can't deny that. It says here, I mean, he, I'll read, um, yeah, he endured so much agony, Hebrews 12, 2, because of his heart was so focused on you and me and knowing the joy that we would be part of his family, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now he sits at the right hand of God. Again, he used all three pretense, like pres- past, present, future. Um, but he loved us. He says in 12.2, we must let go of every wound that has pierced us. And the sin, which some people actually believe, is the sin of unbelief. Because unbelief is where disappointment is burst. And um, it can cause us to be derailed. So he says, I've let go of every wound that has pierced us and, and the sin we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination, for the path has always been marked out before us. Future, always marked out before us. Past, future. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze on Jesus who burst faith within us and leads us forward in faith perfection. Even in our unbelief, we have Jesus in us that has perfect faith. So we can lean in. We can say, oh, forgive. I say, oh, forgive me, Lord, for not having faith, for feeling so disillusioned by what I see instead of what I know in your word. And we can just keep going to the perfecter of our faith. We don't have to be, like, we don't have to, like, oh, I'm going to have faith, conjure up the faith. No, we have to just be honest with where we are. We don't have faith. I feel disappointed. I feel mad. I feel like this isn't fair. All the real things. And then we partner with the faith in us, the perfecter of our faith. And we say, I surrender. And I let you take over. And I let you bring faith in the things unseen. And that is what God is calling us, even in moments of grief, even in moments of great pain. That is where he is calling us. And Jesus, oh, I just, I love him so much because he doesn't, when we are grieving, when we are in a season of grief, he doesn't say, just get up and have faith. He sits and he weeps. And then when we're ready, He's like, let's go. And some people sit a little longer. And if you're there, sit a little longer. He's there. And some people in their greatest moment of grief and injustice, 
is actually what propels them into their greatest prophetic word and call and victory. And so he is doing both. He is in both. He is in both. And so I just, <laughs> he, is, he is worth it. He is so worth the love. And he is motivated by love. So when you have the moment like me, like, what the heck am I doing with my life? Actually, it's a pattern. <laughs> when I was a kid to then to old, I was still like, what am I doing with my life? But anyway, he still, he's like, as long as I love, I think we're, you know, I'm okay as I'm walking through. Okay. Um, number four, Jesus had friends. He discipled people. He had community in the middle of his walking out, living out his 300 plus prophetic words. He did it in community and he did it alone. And this is such a tricky tension because we don't want to live life alone. We definitely want to live life in community, but we don't want to get man's words mixed up with God's words because man's words have an agenda sometimes and God has his agenda. And when you are used to hearing and trusting and believing only in man, when God's agenda is slightly different or very different, it's really hard to jump over and stay in your lane. Stay in God's agenda. Stay in what God is saying. And actually, when you do step over and start staying in your agenda and in God's lane, it is so uncomfortable. <laughs> People are disappointed in you because they had another idea for you. And it is really hard to stay here when you're misunderstood, when you don't look like everybody else, when you don't act like everybody else. It is hard but Jesus did it, and so I feel like, well, thank you for that example, and may I work on that to be more like you, but um, he, he, I just, that's why scripture is so encouraging, because we actually can see this playing over and over, where Jesus was so misunderstood, and I feel so grateful for that, because I often feel misunderstood, and, and sometimes I feel very understood. Both happen um, or like, I want these people to understand me and they don't at all. And then God brings me this random person that totally understands me. And then I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> like I wanted those ones to get it and not that one because that one is different, you know, but I, I think it's just how he works. Like he's going to bring people to you to cheer you on and they might not be the ones that you want to hear from, but it's not about them. And it's actually not even about you. It's about God and what he's doing. So he says, um, I'll just say this one scripture about Jesus was talking to the people about he was the light of the world and that those embrace him will experience this kind of light. But the Pharisees were offended and they told him he was boasting and his words were not true. And Jesus responded, because I am making those claims doesn't mean they are invalid for I absolutely know who I am where I came from, and where I am going. Jesus knew where he came from, where he is, and where he is going. And it was defined by the Father and the Father only. And he did life with people. Somehow he made that all work. So may that be our invitation, to do life with people, let people cheer us on, but not be the voice 
that overcompensates the voice of God. It's the voice of God that we live for. It's the voice of God that we stand in, and it's the voice of God, God that we will do what we can, and we will sacrifice for that. Okay, on to the next. Um, this one has been such an awesome revelation for me in my journey of the present and finding God's holy, holy, holiness in the present. He is so, Jesus is so aware of his eternal story. He knows that it's not just about him. He knows it's about what the Father has sent him to do and what he will do, what he has done, and what he's going to do all in one thing. And I believe that for us as well. We are a part of an eternal story and we are all outside of time, and he's working inside of time, and so it can feel kind of confusing. But I will say um, <laughs> this example. You know, for a long time, I, I was single, and I prayed for my husband, and I would just take scripture, and I would, I'm not, I, I, this is a good thing to do, I'm, I believe, but I would take scripture, and I'm like, see, God, it says, man is not made to be alone, but you he has made a helper suitable for him. So I'm like, Lord, man is not made to be alone. I want to be a helper. Help me be a helper. I want to find my helper. I will help him. And then I um, get married, and I never pray that. I never, I rarely pray, God, Make me a helper to Clark. I'm actually praying, Lord, make Clark a helper to me. <laughs> because for me, it's way more convenient and very, lot more enjoyable to have him serving me. <laughs> anyway, we can talk about that in counseling. Anyway, so I <laughs> I realize how easy it is for us to take our a prophetic word, our prophetic story, if you will, and then put uh, somehow in along the way, you make it about you instead of about God. And that's where we get stuck when we're living out one of our words. And it's very, it's really hard because you have all these people that you're asked to love and you don't really want to love them. And it starts to get confusing and it starts to become about you. And I think that's when God has given us an opportunity to keep going to the Father and letting him reset our minds and our hearts. And on the rare occasions, I might go into my she shed and like, Lord, he'll do something nice to me. And then I'm like, okay, how do you want me to help Clark? And then I'll go and I'll help Clark. But it's because it's him. It's God having this eternal perspective. It's God taking our story, making it a part of his story for something greater than ourselves, which is such an invitation to the world, to be honest, because the world, you get your success in the world. Sometimes more, it looks really nice, actually, but it's not fulfilling because they're not part of a greater, they are part of a greater story, but they're not aware that they are part of the greater story. And that's where the purpose comes. And I've been reading this book. I highly recommend it. It's called Building, Bending Time by Dan McCollum. 
And he just starts, in the book, it just talks about how Jesus redeems time and how time is really made to be a gift and how in our culture and our study, we make time, a, we feel like time is our master. And for example, I mean, I, over COVID, time was my master. I just felt like I was getting squeezed in every part and I didn't have time to do a lot of things. And I became stressed about that. And then I, I started to learn this concept, like, wait, time is a gift? Like, time serves me? I tell time where to go? And I started to rise up and take kind of authority in that. Well, I repented that God forgive me for making time my master and for thinking that I am just ruled by the clock and that I will do what time tells me to do instead of what you tell me to do. So I first repented, and then I started to ask him, what do you have time for me to do today? And he started re re just revealing, like, the things in my day that were important. And to my surprise, sometimes he would tell me I was the important one in my day, which was really powerful because in my natural mind, it was like, oh, no, like, I need to do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this for everybody else. And he, though, because he's such a good father, he was like, this is what you need to do today, and it's for you. And he started to show me that he is in time, and he's outside of time, and he's working in time. But he's, he controls time, not time controlling us. And so I just wanted to give you a few, like, incredible nuggets from this book. They're <clears throat> declarations that I've been declaring uh, so actually, maybe we can declare together. Okay, I'll say it once, and then you say it back. Well, no, I'll say it once, <laughs> and then I'll say it again, and you say it back, okay? Um, I have all the time in the world to do everything God has for me to do. Okay, now repeat after me. I have all the time in the world to do everything God has for me to do. Another one. I'll say it, then you say it. Time will make room for the purposes of God to be fulfilled in my life and in my generation. Time will make room for the purposes of God to be filled in my life and my generation. I'm going to read some more. You don't have to repeat. Thank you, God, that you are the, I am the perfect age, that you have time to do everything God has put in your heart to do. That gets us so much age, and I know for some it's limitations in lots of ways, but God is not limited by age. So I just, this has helped just start praising him, like taking that disappointment, that age comes with age and just start saying, thank God that you, that I'm the perfect age for everything that you have put in my heart to do. And this one I've been doing as well, um, because I, I'm trying to find holiness in my daily tasks. So I say, I am accessing heaven's wisdom and pleasure over my daily duties. So I always feel like, okay, I have a purpose in my daily duties. And this is where God is not limited to 24 hours. He is not limited to 365 days. And he is not limited by what was your past and 
what happened there, he can redeem it and use time in a fast way to accomplish his purposes. And we, need, we are accountable for his time that he's given us. So it's one of those both ends. He redeems, he restores, he predestines us before the end of time. We are walking in our destiny. He has something planned. We are doing something now. We're in the past, the present, and the future. And I feel like this is really important for this time of life and culture that we pay attention to our time in regards to um, making sure the things we say yes to are the things in our lane. Because the things, there is so much competing for our attention. There is so much competing for our time that we can get distracted. And I do this every day because Jaden will say, Mom, can you get me a snack? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. And then I'm going getting a snack, and then I get a text, and then I read it, and then I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that, or I, whatever it is. And then I totally forget my task, and Jaden's like, Mom, you said you were going to give me a snack, and you didn't give me a snack. And I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I forgot. I mean, I need a snack. But I feel like we, some, I do this. Like, this happens in our time. We are on some road and then something looks really good and feeds our ego and then we say yes to it and then it kind of derails us for a second. Um, So I just feel like we do have an invitation to steward our time and steward our time well in the things that are staying in our lane. And Bill Johnson, I just listened to a great sermon by him, but he says, busyness increases our cares So we'll be so overwhelmed and too distracted to pray. And I just realized, oh my gosh, like, yes, like, I part of my lane is caring for people. I I just do. And so when I'm, if I'm choosing to use my time to scroll on Facebook and the news and it's all worthy things, we have to know what's going on in the world. We have to know, it's nice to know what's happening in our friends. But sometimes I feel so sad, like, oh, no, that happened. Oh, no, this happened. And then I start to feel overwhelmed by the sad things and the burdens of the friends. And And I feel distracted and overwhelmed. I don't even have time to pray for the things that I know that I know that I know are in my lane. And that is you. You I will pray for. You are in my lane. But if I'm praying and looking at all these things, then I'm too distracted and overwhelmed to pray for you. And it's the same for my kids and my family. I know that I know I am called to them. And if I don't pray for them, who is praying for them? And so if I'm too distracted looking on my phone or even serving and doing all this stuff that looks so good and feeds my importance level, and miss the two little people that have been entrusted in front of me. Oh, God, forgive me, because they are in my lane, and they deserve me to pray for them, because they are the next generation. And so when we take our prophetic words and our prophetic stories, and we think about what is our lane, and what is God doing in and through us in the past, What is God doing in and through us in the present? And what is God doing in and through the the future? We must remember who is in our lane and what is the Father saying now. 
because it, it's, the time is going fast. And he does redeem time, and we do have authority over time, but we also need to be good stewards with our time. So as I close, I do want to close with um, this verse because it was so good. Okay, it's in Corinthians 4. And it's, uh, we are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's and not ours. We are the vessel. He has this incredible treasure within us. And he says, so no wonder we don't give up. Even though our outer person gradually wears out, our inner person is renewed every single day. We view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. We see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal, weighty glory far beyond comparison because we don't focus our attention on what is seen, but we focus on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but the unseen realm is eternal. And as I go back to the beginning of, oh, holy, 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 the God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come, I, I have we have an invitation to respond to. We have an invitation to remember what he has done, to remember the words he has done, the things he's already done in us, the things that have already been fulfilled, the things that we didn't think were possible and they became possible, the things that were even chosen, plucked out of our family of origin into his hand, into his family. We have to remember those things. And we have to live in the is. The is is okay. The disappointments, the confusion, the I'm seeing what's in front of me and I can't fully grasp that. It's okay. We must live in the is for him to come, but we must live with him, with him in the is. Go to your secret place in the morning with him, in the night with him, in the day with him, whenever. But go with him. Read scriptures. Let him tell you who you are. Spend time with people that encourage you and strengthen you. And don't forget to love. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so easy and so hard all at the same time. But there's always an invitation in love. Always an invitation in love. And there's always enough time for love. And remember that you are in this for God, not for man. So if man is disappointed because you said no to something, so you could say yes to something else, so be it. Because your call is not to man, your call is to God. And to live in what is coming. And I just loved what we've been talking about, what Charlie talked about, what the prophetic class is talking about. We are eternal beings. We have something so good that's coming. We are part of a really good story that we know the end of. We know the victory of. And so we... If you feel discouraged, that's okay. And just grab hold of Krista. Just, that's who I grab hold of. 
<laughs> grab hold of whoever, but grab hold of someone that really believes in the victory of this day and what is coming. And we're all going to have those moments. You know, I just pick on her, but we all have those moments where we need encouragement. And then we all have those moments where we're like, woohoo, and then you have all the in between. But grab hold and let them be your cheerleaders. And then remember whose you are, where you're going, and what you're doing. And meditate on those prophetic words that he's given you. And make it a part of your heart. Now I brought this bottle of wine. I didn't open it, didn't drink it. <laughs> um, but I, this really is a prophetic symbol to me and to us as a body. When I was waiting to get married and I felt discouraged a lot, a friend gave me a bottle of wine and she said, Tiffany, this wine gets better every single year. And it really gave me a lot of encouragement, actually, because I was feeling like I was just waiting and waiting. But I know God was making me better and better every year. And I feel like... We can use this wine as such a symbol because that's a symbol Jesus gave us, that he bore his body. He died so that we could have an eternal life, eternal story. We could be one with the Father God. We could have his home living within us. We could have a peace that surpasses all understanding. He died. He shed his blood. And he says, remember me by drinking wine. And <laughs> remember what I have done. And that is our, that is our invitation in, his, in, the, in this wine story, <laughs> to remember where we've come. And then to know in the present we are maturing with age. And it is going to be so good. So, so good. And to remember that where we are going, oh, my gosh, we are going to have the biggest wedding feast. We are his bride. We are his. And he will look us in the eyes and he will be so proud of us. So proud that we did not give up. So proud that he pressed in. So proud that we are doing this as a church body going into him. And he, you will not be disappointed. You will not be disappointed. So, Krista, I'm going to pray for us, and I'm just going to invite Holy Spirit to just ask him what he wants to highlight to you about what I said. And how does he want you to respond? And we're going to play New Wine. And I love this song. I've just, it's just been in my head all week. And I just feel like it's in my head all week because we are new wine. And we, in the crushing, he is bringing forth something new. Something so, so good. And it is going to taste like freedom. And it might be uncomfortable. But the freedom it takes to look weird or to be out of your comfort zone is worth it because he is pressing us to bring forth new wine or the world is pressing us. But we will bring forth something new. So, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you that our lives are already important. They're already predestined. They're already set apart. They are already loved. Thank you. 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 And we invite your holy, 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 holy presence. Holy, holy, holy presence in the space of the God who is in this moment. Holy, holy, holy God. How do you want us to respond? <laughs> 